following talk is from St. Michael's Fowell, a gospel-centered community for Fowell, Teddington, and beyond. Our passion is to see every life following Jesus. For more information, visit our website, stmichaelsfowell.co.uk. We're now going to turn to God's Word, and uh, we're in our series uh, through a segment in the book of Acts. So do turn to Acts chapter 19, and um, Julian and Imogen are going to read to us. About that time, there arose a great disturbance about the way. A silversmith named Demetrius, who made silver shrines of Artemis, Artemis, brought in a lot of business for the craftsmen there. He called them together, along with the workers in related trades, and said, You know my friends, that we receive a good income from this business. And you see and hear how this fellow Paul has convinced and led astray large numbers of people here in Ephesus and practically the whole province of Asia. He says that gods made by human hands are no gods at all. There is danger, not only that our trade will lose its good name, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis will be discredited. And the goddess herself, who is worshipped throughout the province of Asia and the world, will be robbed of her divine majesty. When they heard this, they were furious and began shouting, Greatest Artemis of the Ephesians. Soon, the whole city was in an uproar. The people seized Gaius and Aristarchus, Paul's traveling companions from Macedonia, and all of them rushed into the theater together. Paul wanted to appear before the crowd, but the disciples would not let him. Even some of the officials of the province, friends of Paul, sent him a message begging him not to venture into the theater. The assembly was in confusion. Some were shouting one thing, some another. Most of the people did not even know why they were there. The Jews in the crowd pushed Alexander to the front, and they shouted instructions to him. He motioned for silence in order to make a defense before the people. But when they realized he was a Jew, they all shouted in unison for about two hours, Greatest Artemis of the Ephesians. The city clerk quietened the crowd and said, Fellow Ephesians, doesn't all the world know that the city of Ephesus is the guardian of the temple of the great Artemis and of her image, which fell from heaven? Therefore, since these facts are undeniable, you ought to calm down and not do anything rash. You have brought these men here, though they have neither robbed temples nor blasphemed our goddess. If, then, Demetrius and his fellow craftsmen have a grievance against anybody, the courts are open and there are proconsuls. They can press charges. If there is anything further you want to bring up, it must be settled in a legal assembly. As it is, we are in danger of being charged with rioting because of what happened today. In that case would not be able to account for this commotion, since there is no reason for it. After he had said this, he dismissed the assembly. I'll be reading verses 1 to 12. When the uproar had ended, Paul sent for the disciples, and after encouraging them, said goodbye and set out for Macedonia. He traveled through that area, speaking many words of encouragement to the people, 
and finally arrived in Greece, where he stayed three months. Because some Jews had plotted against him just as he was about to sail for Syria, he decided to go back through Macedonia. He was accompanied by Sopater, son of Pyrrhus from Berea, Aristarchus and Secundus from Thessalonica, Gaius from Derby, Timothy also, and Tychicus and Trophimus from the province of Asia. These men went on ahead and waited for us at Troas, but we sailed from Philippi after the festival of unleavened bread, and five days later joined the others at Troas, where we stayed seven days. On the first day of the week, we came together to break bread. Paul spoke to the people, and because he intended to leave the next day, kept on talking until midnight. There were many lamps in the upstairs room where, they, where we were meeting. Seated in a window was a young man named Eutychus, who was sinking into a deep sleep as Paul talked on and on. When he was sound asleep, he fell to the ground from the third story and was picked up dead. Paul went down, threw himself on the young man and put his arms around him. Don't be alarmed, he said. He's alive. Then he went upstairs again and broke bread and ate. After talking until daylight, he left. The people took the young man home alive and were greatly comforted. And thank you ever so much. Uh, you're all glad you're sitting on seats, solid, no windows, no third floor, anything like that. Um, and I'll try not to get on and on uh, all night. That, that's the plan. Um, I've got some handouts here, so I wonder whether these could work their way uh, through. You might find these helpful. Thanks so much. Okay. Um, keep page 1116, one, uh, Acts 19 open. Let me pray. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for, for your word that all of it is here to Build us up in Christ, and Lord, please help us this evening to know what you have to say to us through your word, by your spirit, about your son, so that we can live for him wholeheartedly this week. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I don't know if you've ever been at the um, receiving end of a mob. Uh, hopefully not. It must be a really terrifying experience. Uh, so in the news this week, I don't know if you picked it up, uh, uh, West Ham were playing uh, in the middle of the week and uh, they knocked out a side, uh, Dutch side, AZ Alcar from um, uh, a European uh, trophy and the fans were not happy. Here's a picture of, of what happened. Uh, the fans, uh, the ultras, uh, they put on their... Uh, black coats and uh, hoods, and they went for the West Ham fans uh, sitting behind the dugout, uh, actually where quite a few of the West Ham uh, family and friends were, and uh, it all sounds absolutely terrifying. Some of the players that just celebrating victory came off uh, the pitch to try and protect um, their, uh, their family. Uh, that must be a pretty scary thing to be on the end of. Uh, another way in which mob uh, mobs are pretty common in our lives today, is online, on social media. Uh, here's a little uh, sense of, of that. A, a Twitter mob, perhaps. This is uh, from a Wall Street Journal uh, article about it, about somebody who had experienced the Twitter mob, uh, where suddenly a whole load of people launching on this person 
uh, and uh, uh, in a really hostile way. It must be terrifying, whether it's real, that's really terrifying, but even online social media mobs uh, must be very, very scary. And uh, what we have here in this reading is a, a pretty detailed description of a mob rioting, and it must have been absolutely terrifying. So if you've been uh, here, you'll know that Paul is on his third missionary journey, and uh, he's been spending quite a lot of time in the city of Ephesus uh, on the west coast of modern-day Turkey. He's uh, uh, been there for uh, well over two years, uh, proclaiming the good news of the Lord Jesus. He's been spending all this time in the lecture hall of Tyrannus, and uh, everyone in the area heard about uh, the gospel. And uh, it was clearly having a big impact. Uh, many people were becoming Christians during this time. But not everyone was happy. And we read here about Demetrius, who uh, is a silversmith. And he's not happy because his job was all about uh, producing uh, uh, silver shrines of um, the goddess Artemis and of her temple. And this was big business. This was a big way of making money, both for him and other uh, people in his industry. And what was happening was that clearly lots of people were becoming Christians and were no longer wanting idols of Artemis in their homes or of the temple. And uh, business was going down. It was going south. And it was not good news. I put a picture there of uh, uh, one of the sort of idols that was uh, excavated. There's actually quite a lot of good archaeology around this area. And uh, you can see what a strange idol Artemis was. But the Ephesian people were incredibly proud of her and of her temple. It's one of the wonders of the world. And people becoming Christians were seen by Demetrius as really bad news for his industry and for his city. And so what we read about here is uh, him... Uh, with great effect, stirring up anger and fury against Paul and his fellow Christians. And he's quite careful about how he does it. Does it? Uh, we're just going to think, walk through this, right, uh, asking a number of questions. Why did it happen? What happened? How did it end? What lessons can we learn from that? Uh, and we're going to be thinking about the mob most of our time on that. Over the page, you'll see we're also going to be thinking, you'll, you'll love the rhyme here, uh, I am a poet, really. Uh, the mob, and then we'll look at the job. Okay? Um, so I hope you appreciate that. Uh, but we'll spend most of the time thinking about the mob. Uh, why did it happen? Um, it's quite interesting to see how Luke, the writer of Acts, actually speaks of what is going on um, under the surface uh, with uh, Demetrius and his friends. And I think we can sum it up, really, in, in three areas. I think there's greed. Uh, there's Pride, and there's probably fear as well. Um, that's sort of implied within this, but uh, I think we see greed, pride, and fear. Demetrius is careful not to sort of speak too much of the greed, but it's clear he's clearly worried about how uh, the business is going to be struggling, uh, verse 25. And uh, he's also uh, appeals to people's pride. Uh, the civic pride of this city who, who love their goddess Artemis and love their temple. And he says what a disaster this is for their civic pride. And I guess within all this, and this is a bit more 
me reading into this. Uh, there probably is a lot of fear as well. When your identity, your job, your role uh, is under threat, then it's very easy to start to get quite angry. And I imagine all this stuff is going on, and it's stirring up anger, not just in Demetrius, but in uh, his fellow tradespeople. And actually, it just builds a momentum that goes throughout this city. And so what we see happening is um, a riot begin. And uh, what they did was to grab hold of uh, Gaius and Aristarchus. Uh, they were seized. They were traveling companions of Paul. And this whole mob of people took them into this huge theater. And actually, that's a picture, a modern-day picture of this theater, a massive theater. Apparently, it could hold over 20,000 people um, there in Ephesus. And uh, it must have been terrifying. Have a look at verse 32. Uh, we get a picture of what's going on here. This is mob in all its, uh, yeah, it just, uh, in all its energy. Uh, the assembly was in confusion. Some were shouting one thing, some another. Most of the people did not even know why they were there. That's just such a lovely line, that, isn't it? Uh, isn't that mob rules? People are stirred up, they're angry. There's a sort of fight on, uh, and all sorts of anxieties are poured out. And uh, that is the scene we see in this packed-out theater, thousands of people, and there were Gaius and Aristarchus, and they must have been terrified. And then, uh, a poor chap, verse 23, uh, this chap called Alexander, who was a Jew, he was pushed uh, forward. Um, they pushed him to the front. Uh, you can imagine Alexander thinking, I'm not going to the front there. What are you thinking? And anyway, he's pushed to the front. And I think probably what's going on there is uh, the Jews within the city were wanting to distance themselves from the Christians. To say, look, this is not us. But again, another feature of mob uh, rule is that uh, people aren't interested in hearing arguments or the fineries of this. They just shouted this person down. And so what we see is two hours, verse 34, two hours of shouting, shouting themselves hoarse. Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. So uh, quite a scene going on here. Uh, they're not listening. They're not interested. Fingers in their ears. Uh, we see that today, don't we? We see that in, uh, particularly online, I guess, but even the example of West Ham. Uh, we could see this uh, lived out. How did it end? It's really interesting how it ended. And again, Luke gives us quite a description of this. It's actually uh, someone from the city, a senior figure in the city, the city clerk. He would have been the equivalent of a mayor. And he steps in and he makes a speech, makes four quick points in his speech. He says, look, come on, guys. Artemis is too great. Don't be so insecure. Uh, we're fine. These guys can't budge Artemis. Uh, second, he makes the point that, that, look, there's been no direct blasphemy uh, against Artemis, no robbing of the temple. Uh, verse 37, you can see that. Uh, he also then says, thirdly, look, you can go to the civil courts. Look, we've got laws for this. Uh, go to the civil courts and get it sorted out if you want to. And then finally, he says, look, there's a danger here that we're going to be charged with rioting. That's not going to be good for us uh, under the Roman Empire. Well, they're not going to take that too kindly. So we have the city clerk come in, and uh, that is persuasive enough 
Uh, clearly, he is skilled at calming this down just as much as skilled as Demetrius was at stirring it all up. And so people head off. Maybe they're just, their voices are hoarse. Uh, the fun's over, and they go to the next thing. Uh, there's a quick sort of walkthrough of what's going on here. What lessons, what on earth does this mean for us today? Uh, how does this relate to us and uh, uh, here in Teddington in 2023? Uh, three th quick things I want to just pull out, lessons from this. Uh, one is that gospel ministry often stirs up opposition. Gospel ministry often stirs up opposition. Um, and just to dig a little bit deeper into this, uh, we can see that because what is going on here is idolatry is being exposed. There is a clear idolatry happening uh, where Artemis is being worshipped as a god. Uh, something that is physical. There's a really interesting line in verse 26, uh, last part of verse 26. Demetrius, uh, I don't know whether he sort of sees the irony in this at all, uh, where he's sort of trying to stir up uh, the people in this city. And he says this, he says, speaking of Paul, he says that gods made by human hands are no gods at all. It's quite funny actually hearing that, isn't it? Do you hear what you're saying there? Of course they're no gods at all. We've made them. How can they be a god if we've just uh, made them? And so there's clear idolatry going on here. And uh, what Paul was doing in his ministry was breaking down their idolatry and rescuing people from idolatry. Idolatry, put simply, is, is worshipping something that is not God. Uh, often a good thing turned into a God thing, an ultimate thing. And this was right in Ephesus. And Paul was calling people to the true God, the creator of all things, the uncreated creator. And people don't like it when they're called away from that. Uh, it can be very threatening. And I guess we need to recognize that in our own lives as well. Uh, it is not he easy hearing the call of the gospel to worship the one true God and to break down and walk away from the idols in our heart. Because we all have idols. Uh, we don't have necessarily Artemis uh, in our living room. But we've got idols. We worship, we make ultimate things of this world. Uh, it could be anything. It could be uh, family. It could be friends. It could be jobs. It could be uh, the classic ones of money, sex, and power. Uh, we can idolize them. We make them ultimate things. Maybe it's comfort. And the gospel calls us away from those things. And that can be quite difficult. And it can even make us quite angry. But we need to know this. We were praying earlier uh, in the wake of Tim Keller's death on, on Friday. And I uh, just want to read you a quote that I actually read this morning. Uh, but he's so helpful on this in pointing out idolatry in our lives. And uh, he says this, uh, the living God, it's the living God, the one who Paul speaks of, the living God who revealed himself both at Mount Sinai and on the cross is the only Lord who, if you find him, can truly fulfill you, and if you fail him, can truly forgive you. It is a wonderful truth. Only the Lord 
is worthy of our worship. Only he can fully satisfy us. And only he also can forgive us. Idols don't do that. They're very unforgiving idols. And so we need to see um, how this danger of idolatry is true for our own lives. But as, as, as I was saying, uh, it can stir up opposition from those beyond as well. And uh, we need to recognize that. We need to recognize that. We need to recognize both the opposition, opposition in our own heart and the opposition from beyond. And not be surprised by that. Uh, secondly, so that's the first thing. Gospel ministry often stirs up opposition. Second, in the face of opposition, we need wisdom as to how to respond. It's quite striking how Paul and Paul's friends respond here. Uh, and actually, the city officials, they wanted to hold Paul back. Paul was saying, let me add him. Let me in there. And it doesn't tell us whether who was right, whether Paul should have got in there or whether it's right that his friends held him back. Quite possibly he could have died if he had gone there. And uh, we need wisdom in that. When opposition rises up, um, and that can happen in lots of different ways in our lives. It can happen in our schools. It can happen in our universities, amongst our friends, family. We need wisdom as to whether to engage, to get involved, or whether to, to hold back. That's the second thing. Third, uh, interestingly, sometimes protection comes from the world. It's an unlikely thought, isn't it? The city clerk, the mayor, is the one who quells and stops this riot. And actually, it's good to recognize that for us, uh, it's not wrong to rely on the law of the land. Uh, God's common grace does often mean that uh, non-Christians might be uh, the people who protect Christians from uh, such situations. So three things, three things there uh, to pull out. The gospel ministry often stirs up opposition, even within our own hearts. In the face of opposition, we need wisdom as to how to respond. Sometimes protection comes from the world. And it's wonderful to see Gaius and Aristarchus. Clearly, they were protected because they then uh, start to go with Paul, as we see in chapter 20. Because uh, the reason why it's great having this whole section together is to show the ultimate way in which Paul responded to the mob. Uh, we see there the mob. Uh, what does it do? There you go. It doesn't stop Paul doing his job. Okay? Uh, that's what we see here in chapter 20. Uh, Paul gets on with the job. And uh, it is amazing in these short few verses. Uh, there is so much going on here. Uh, in verses 1 to 3, let me just read from chapter 20, verse 1. When the uproar had ended, Paul sent for the disciples, and after encouraging them, said goodbye and set out for Macedonia. He traveled through that area, speaking many words of encouragement to the people, and finally arrived in Greece, where he stayed there three months. Because some Jews had plotted against him, just as he was about to sail for Syria, he decided to go back through Macedonia. Now, you see on your map there, just on the other side, uh, the route he's taking from Ephesus uh, in the west of Turkey, uh, Asia it was called then. Uh, he goes all the way up through Macedonia, all the way down to Ikea, also called Greece, uh, where he stayed in Corinth and then came all the way back. Uh, do you know during this time, he actually wrote the book of Romans as well? Uh, that's quite good to know, isn't it? Um, and he, he's writing other books around this time as well. Two Corinthians he was writing um, before he went off to Corinth. Um, 
So, uh, so much stuff uh, is going on here. But it seems that um, Luke, who's writing Acts, wants to take us towards a, a specific thing that he's doing during this time. And I think we see it summarized there in verse 2. He traveled throughout that area, speaking many words of encouragement to the people. And you can imagine what Paul's doing. He's speaking words of encouragement. He keeps wanting to point people to the Lord Jesus. If you want to know the sort of things he's saying, read the book of Romans. And actually, the action slows down even further when we come to uh, this amazing story of Eutychus, the sort of tragic comedy of this chap, Eutychus. And uh, in verse 7, we see how Paul ends up back at Troas. And there he is. It's a lovely description. It's one of the first descriptions of the church gathering uh, on, 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 on the Sunday. Uh, on the first day of the week, we came together to break bread. This is a sort of church gathering. And uh, uh, here is Paul uh, at that gathering, and he's making the most of all the opportunities to talk about the gospel. You can imagine him. He's sort of probably walking them all the way through uh, the Old Testament and how the Old Testament points to, uh, to Jesus. There's probably lots of questions uh, going on uh, and uh, discussion and prayers and uh, no doubt singing a hymn or two. Uh, we're told they break bread uh, together. Uh, and all of this stuff is going on late into the night. And verse 8 we read, there are many lamps in the upstairs room. And you can imagine it's getting hotter and hotter and hotter. And uh, Eutychus, the young lad, was probably defining this all a little bit too much. I mean, Paul probably was pretty intense in many ways. And so he goes over to get some fresh air by the window and he sits there and he just can't hold it. Have you had that experience? I'm sure not, falling asleep in a sermon. Surely not. Um, and there's just a, oh, it's an awful feeling, isn't it, when you're going and he must have just gone. And then he lost his balance. And actually a tragedy happened. He fell from the third floor. And uh, he was dead. Uh, we see that there in verse 9. Uh, wonderfully, you have the Apostle Paul there. Not only did he send him to sleep, but he was also able to raise him from the dead. Um, and he popped down, said, don't be alarmed, and uh, threw himself over him and raised him from the dead. And then as he did, he popped back up, uh, broke bread, and then carried on talking until daylight. Incredible. What is going on here? What, why is that story in here? When so much is happening during this time, um, what, why does Luke narrow down, focus on this. And I wonder whether what's happening here is just giving us a wonderful, vivid illustration of the message that Paul is speaking. These words of encouragement he's giving to the church. As he goes through, he'd have been going through uh, uh, Macedonia, down in Tarakea, through Asia. He's, he's meeting all these churches that he's planted. What's he doing? He constantly is speaking about the Lord Jesus Forgiveness of sins available in him and the life available in him. And so we have this wonderful, vivid illustration of the dead being raised. Now that is what the gospel is all about, isn't it? We are dead in our sins and yet we are raised in Jesus Christ. Uh, Paul would have just written uh, Romans and in Romans... He describes God as the God who gives life to dead and calls into being things that are not. And that is why it's so important that he keeps doing his job 
despite the very real fear of the mob. And I guess that is quite pertinent for us today. Uh, I don't know your situation, exactly where you are, but it would be quite difficult to be known as a Christian. And we can often feel quite fearful of the mob, of the opposition that might come, uh, whether that's on Twitter or social media or just from uh, people around us. And we need wisdom as to how we engage But one thing we must keep doing, wisely, appropriately, lovingly, is speaking about Jesus, the one who raises the dead. And what is wonderful here is uh, we see the description, not just that Paul is speaking in this gathering, but he's breaking bread too. And uh, we're going to finish our time together. I'm going to hand over to Simon in just a second, but we're going to break bread. Because that's another wonderful physical sign of what Jesus has done for us. His body broken for us so that we can be forgiven. His blood shed on our behalf. Uh, We've got to keep doing that. Uh, Don't allow the mob or the fear of the mob stop us from doing the job that the Lord has given us, proclaiming the Lord Jesus Christ. Why why don't we just take a moment and then uh, Simon will come up and uh, lead us as we share bread and wine.